0: It feels like they've waited the pulpit. Or I'm getting weaker. It's probably the latter. Good morning, church. It's a privilege to uh, be in the pulpit this morning. I am going to uh, take us through the fourth poem. Matt's done the first half. I'm going to finish it up this morning. Um, the first three poems... Uh, ended at chapter 5, verse 2, and the fourth poem is 5, verse 2 to 6, verse 3. But over the last two weeks, Matt's helped us with um, the first six verses, so I'm going to go from verse 9. But I first want to do a bit of a recap, because the second half of the poem uh, is built off of the first half. Over the last two weeks, we've been learning about this lady that is asleep, but her heart is awake. She is awake to the presence of her husband, even when he isn't in the room. She can sense his nearness when he's, when he's at the door. And that should challenge us in our spiritual uh, sleep or awakeness. Are we awake to Christ? Do we know of his presence and his nearness. And she makes a mistake. He's at the door and she has an opportunity to fellowship with him, but she's too slow to get up. And she's got what she thinks of good excuses. She's in her pajamas, she's uh, got clean feet. She doesn't want to have to wash them again. And sometimes Jesus will show up in your life at an inconvenient time and want to have fellowship with you. And this happens to us where we prioritize other things. We think we've got good reasons, good excuses, and we can miss out. And what happens with her is this mistake leads to some pain in her life. She is absent from him now. She starts searching for him. And in her searching, she is attacked. And she's beaten up by the watchmen of the city, those who should be protecting. And this happens to us too. We can relate to this lady. We have times of feeling absent from God. We have times where the world and the circumstances that we're going through, it feels like we're getting uh, punched. And sometimes even by those we don't expect. Sometimes even from within church. And this wonderful response, even after this time of absence and this time of feeling broken and bruised, is her heart, where she ends in verse 8 and she says, she starts speaking to these other uh, ladies. And she says, tell my beloved, if you can find him, that I'm sick with love. It doesn't matter to her that she's been through a lot her heart's response to her husband is, I love you. I want to be with you. And that is the pretext to the second half of the poem. I'm going to read from verse 9, and we're going to end in chapter 6, verse 3. What is your beloved, the others are speaking, what is your beloved more than another beloved? O most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? My beloved is radiant and ready, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the setters. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. am going to get my timer out so that I don't keep you here until 12. We've spoken to you a lot about who the husband is and who the bride is. Um, We are approaching the interpretation of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs as typology, which means there was a real woman and a real man. This is a real wedding. But it is in Scripture because it points to Christ. And the husband is Christ and the bride is the church. And so we can learn spiritual truths from this book that apply to us in that relationship. But I don't know if Matt or Joe have covered it, but I haven't. We haven't spoken too much about this other group, the others who show up at the beginning and the end of the second half of the poem. Who are they? And there's a bit of mystery there. I think there's two ways to look at them and both apply to the sermon. Um, The first is, it's the world. It may also be um, your average Christian. So this woman is not your average Christian. She is someone who has experienced closeness with Christ. Not every believer has that relationship. Many believers accept Christ, and hold him at arm's length, and live their lives. And prayer is minimal, Uh, experience of him talking to them is minimal obedience is minimal because you can only obey what you hear okay so you can't obey if you don't hear the instructions and that sadly is the lower entry level for the average christian that many people settle for she is not like that she is someone who has experienced a very close relationship with the husband And she is someone who can go through really difficult times. As we've looked at her history, she's grown up with a checkered past. She hasn't had a family that's looked after her well. She's spent lots of time out in the vineyards in the sun, getting uh, scarred by the circumstances around her. She deals with shame and guilt about her appearance. And many of us can relate to that as we walk through the waters of this life that if you had to look back in our past history, you'd see that we've been through some tough stuff, just as she has. But she is in a relationship with her husband, and she keeps searching for him no matter what. Sometimes he's absent, sometimes she's getting hurt, but she keeps searching for him. She loves him. She's in a different space to the others. The others are asking her a good question here after everything you've been through, and him not even being here for you right now, and maybe someone said this to you before about Jesus, how can you still, what makes him so great? Why are you still running after him? When my brother was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia, I was teaching Bible ed at Sterling High School, and I was trying to process that, deep pain, and share with my class how I was still holding on to my faith, even though I was going through something I never thought I would have to go through. And there was a girl, I don't know what her past was, I just know she could relate to what I was saying, but she didn't have faith. And she looked at me with bewilderment, and she said through tears, how can you trust him? after what you've been through. And I knew she was saying, I can't trust him after what I've been through. And you might have had similar experiences, similar uh, things happen to you where these others out there are asking you this question, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Oh, most beautiful among women. Why are they interested in her? Was a question I thought of. What has started off this interest? Notice that they call her. They notice something about her. I don't know if you picked it up. I'll say it again. O, oh, most beautiful among women. They see something in her. They don't understand it, but there's something compelling about her, and they are interested in her, and they see and they can recognize that there is something beautiful about her. And my question is, what is it? Why are they even asking the question? Why is the girl looking at me with a sense of bewilderment, but there's something behind that that's also going, help me understand why you're different? And I want to say to you that they are intrigued by her because of what she's been through and because of how she continues to persist in her pursuit of him. We often ask ourselves, God, why are you letting this thing happen to me? Why do I have to go through this? But here we see in this woman's life, it's off the back of being beaten by the watchman and then responding and saying, I still love him. That's where the question comes from, from the others. Now they're interested. Maybe they weren't as interested before, but because she's been through a lot and continues to pursue and love Jesus, They want to know, and they can see that she's beautiful. That might help you if you're going through something tough. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I don't understand, and I don't have to. There's a lot of mystery around God and what He does and what He allows. But I do know this. At the end of the day, I am going to be standing in His presence Joyfully worshiping him for all eternity, and it will all make sense. And it will be for his glory. What Steve goes through in his life now is for God's glory, I believe it 100%. I don't understand it, and I can't explain it to you, but that's what I believe. And they see something in her, and they are asking questions. Pierre spoke earlier about uh, someone who's still searching for answers. People start with seeing something in us. Remember who started the conversation? Was it the others or was it her? She goes to them and she says, hey, help me find him. I love him. And it's in response to her first speaking to them that they now start to ask questions. A lot of you are sitting there with other people in your lives who don't follow Christ yet, and you're praying for them, which is the right thing to do, but you're also waiting for them. You're waiting for them to make the first move. That's not the typical way that this works. She makes the first move. She goes to them and she says, "Um, help me find him, and it's only after she initiates they start asking, tell us about him. There's some questions now. They're interested in her and they're interested in him. They respond because she acts first. When we get to the middle section of this text, she starts to talk about him. She describes him in detail. She knows him personally. Peter says to us, be ready to give an answer for the faith that you have. When the questions come, and they will come off the back of your initiative, But when the questions come, we must be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have. This personal faith, this person, Jesus, that we know because we are in a close relationship with him. We can tell you about him. He's not abstract. He's here. We've experienced him. We've been through things with him. When I tell you his character, I'm not telling you something I've read in a book. I'm telling you how that character has played out in my life. And she does the same thing. Let's go through hers line by line and then I'll show you how it works for us. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. Radiance speaks of glory. And readiness speaks of earth, earthiness. Who is glorious and earthy at the same time? Jesus. She can speak of his, the glories of heaven about him, but also his relatableness and his—he was fully man and present here, and he understands everything that we've been through. He has suffered just as we suffer. And I love this. It's probably my fra- favorite description of Jesus. It says he is distinguished among 10,000. The fairest of 10,000. If you took three other guys, I still wouldn't be the fairest. Put them up here, wouldn't be the fairest. But even if you took the most handsome guy and put them up here, they would not be distinguished amongst a uh, 100 because there would be other handsome men that look similar. And if you take 10,000, and you can point to one photograph and say that one is different, above all, it is distinguished beyond everything else, I don't have not seen a man or woman beautiful enough or handsome enough to fit that description. There's always a competitor. There's always, uh, this is my preference. Luckily for me, Anita has this preference. And when I was waiting during my dating years, I say dating years, they never really existed. I dated Anita and I married her. There was no one else. But when I was striking out, my confidence was that I just need one. I just need one to see me for who I am. I don't need thousands to see me for who I am. I need one. And Anita did. But with Jesus, he is the fairest of 10,000. He is, and that 10,000 is just a number. He is set apart, unlike anything else. Nothing can compare. The only point to any comparison is to show that nothing can compare to him. He is the fairest of 10,000. His head is the finest gold, speaks of royalty. He's a king. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. Hair speaks of character, I'm gonna get into some of his characteristics in in a second. His eyes are like doves, beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. The eyes, as we've spoken about before, speak of clarity, they see clearly. There's something compelling about them. Most of you thought that your spouse's eyes, probably you saw something you loved about them. Uh, when Anita and I were doing the Facebook dance, in my generation that was our dating start, you started on Facebook, um, I asked her, what color eyes do you like? This was while we were friends. She goes, blue, I check my eyes in the mirror. There's enough blue in there maybe. And there's something beautiful about Jesus' eyes. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His words are beautiful to us. When He speaks, our hearts are warmed. When He speaks, we are encouraged, we feel safe. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. The arms show strength, protection. Anita, when I hold her, she feels safer. She shouldn't because I'm pretty short, and I don't know. I speak quite boldly about the guy coming into the room and me fighting him off. We'll see if that happens one day, how good I am at that. But she feels safe when I hold her. And Jesus, when he holds you, you feel his strength, his protection. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. Legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. The the legs uh, speak about strength. When I used to gym, the thing that I could push the furthest were my legs. Could put the most weight on is the legs. I could bench my body weight. I was only 70 kilograms, so I was happy with that. But the legs, I can't remember, I don't want to lie, but I feel like I want to say it was around 200, maybe more. Strength. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the setters. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. You know, when I thought about this, I've said to you before, one of my favorite missionaries is Charles Marsh he was a missionary to uh, Afga- not Afghanistan, Algeria, North Africa. And he often would say to Muslims, let's talk about, you talk about Muhammad, I'll talk about Jesus, you can go first. And I'll listen, say everything you wanna say about Muhammad. And they would talk for five minutes tops because they only know the facts and you ran out of facts. But when he had a turn to talk about Jesus, he would talk for hours because he knew Jesus personally. And that's what she's doing here. She's talking about this husband she knows, she has spent time with. And I want to say to you talk about him. Talk about him. Don't just let the others drift out there. Engage them. Joe Davies says, switch the light on. Switch the light on isn't preach the gospel and beat them over the head with the Bible. Switching the light on is sharing a simple spiritual truth, a thought and seeing what happens. And sometimes you get a negative response and then you know, that's okay. We can revisit this later. Sometimes you'll get a positive response and then you know, let's talk, I can talk more about Jesus because this person is switched on to this. They're asking questions. When you switch the light on, moths go to the light and cockroaches run away from the light. And some people are moths, and some people are cockroaches, but our job is to switch on the light in conversations and see what happens. And when you get the questions that these are giving to her, okay, I can see there's something about you that's different. Okay, I'm intrigued. Okay, tell me more about him. Then we better be ready to tell what we know about Jesus. And I would say to you, from your own experiences, So I can tell you that God is a provider, but when I tell you how he's provided for me, it's meaningful. I can tell you God is a protector, but when I tell you how he has protected me, it's meaningful. I can tell you that God is a God of peace, but when I tell you how I've been able to find my peace in him, It's meaningful, there's something powerful about your testimony when you start to talk about Jesus and what he's done for you. It's not a sermon, it's not theology, it's what Jesus has meant to you. And you can share it so simply, just real, and you will be amazed at the response, what can happen. And not everyone's gonna respond well and that's not up to you, that's not your fault. When Samuel is um, doing the role of prophet and the people reject Samuel, God says to Samuel, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. You have not done a bad job, Samuel. They are rejecting me. We know many people will choose to reject Christ. We cannot take it upon ourselves as if we've done a bad job. All we are to do is to tell people what we know about him. And that's why the call for us to get to know him and have a close relationship with him, this is why we're preaching the sermon to you, This series. Some of you might be going, we want to move on from Song of Solomon and uh, as Matt said in a previous sermon, we want to get into uh, theology. No. We want to have a close relationship with Jesus so that when people ask us about him, we are speaking from personal experience of him. We can tell him what he has done for us and said to us. And the world struggles with the same things you and I struggle with. They struggle with fear. Jesus has helped me deal with fear. They struggle with direction. Jesus has given me direction. They struggle with uh, provision. Jesus has provided. They struggle with protection. Lots of fear around protection and the dangers of this world. I feel safe because of Jesus, not safe because I have an alarm system. I don't have a lot of trust in my alarm system. I don't feel safe because I've got an electric fence. I'm hearing that they get under the fence. They don't get over the fence. There's always a way to get in. You cannot protect with circumstantial things. You feel safe because God is with you. That's why you feel safe. And the world that is surrounding itself with... uh, electric fences and walls and trying to protect in all of these human ways, which are fine, do them. I've got them. If you come to my house, you're going to see them. I'm just saying I place little trust in them. My trust is in Jesus and I can tell you about Him. I've been with Him. I've experienced Him. Last night I was watching the rugby at Ham's and I was watching with uh, some old school friends. And I'm not sure where they're at with Christ. They might be an average Christian, they might still be seeking. And my friend says this to me. I've known him since we were 10 years old. He says to me, Mark, when you speak, there's something there. There's a gift. So I didn't know what he meant. I was like, because I haven't seen him in church too often. I'm like, are you talking about preaching or conversation or what are you talking about? And he goes, All of it. And I and I felt like in that moment I was praying. I said to the Lord, Lord, then let it not be about rugby. If you have given me a gift to speak, that people will listen. Let it not be about rugby. Let it not be about superficial, silly things. Tonight, if, if he sees something in me, and he's going, there's something about you, and he's willing to listen, then, Lord, let me speak about you. Let it be about you. It reminded me of another time I was at George Arnold Primary School as a teacher, and I uh, organized a maths co- uh, course for everyone, and it was a Friday afternoon, and if you're a teacher, you can relate to this. Friday afternoon is a bad time to have a meeting for teachers. Bad time, the worst time. Because teachers start, uh, if they're not, I'm gonna get shot down by some teachers here. If they're not doing sport on Friday afternoon, trust me, they're probably not marking or doing other work either. When you get in that car and drive home, the weekend has started. Yay, Friday! And I was tasked with this impossible job of speaking to teachers on a Friday afternoon about maths. It's an impossible task. Be compelling here. And I remember standing up and there were some things I wanted to say and I said them and I had them. I think I spoke for an hour and I had them the whole hour. And at the end, the principal even said, I'd finished speaking about maths. I don't know what I have said, can't remember what it was about the maths, but I remember the principal saying, I feel inspired. I feel inspired. Friday afternoon, I feel inspired for maths. And something happened. I went to my car and I I, I wept. Because I said to the Lord, I don't want to inspire people for maths. If you've given me a gift, if you've given me a voice, if you've given me something to say, and, I've, and people will listen, then I wanna tell them about you. And I remember crying out in that car, saying, Lord, I wanna talk about you. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm telling you about him. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. When you speak about him, what is compelling is not your words, It's him. Something about him is attractive to people. And when we talk about him, there is a response. Look at what happens next in the text. Remember these others in the beginning started off with questions. And you can almost read the tone of the question is, why? Why are you looking for him after everything you've been through? And then she talks about him. She talks about how she's experienced him. And listen to what they say. In chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? They are convinced. They have been compelled. They have been moved by her testimony. When Jesus was here, one of the last things he said to the church, to the disciples, was, I must go. And they were begging him, they were saying, stay, stay, stay. They loved being with him. And he said, I must go. Because when I go, the counselor will come. And you will do even greater things than I have done. And here is the beauty, the mystery of the gospel. When Jesus leaves, the Spirit comes, and now it's in everyone who believes in Him. That is a powerful, powerful thing. It means when you talk about Him, you've got the Holy Spirit with you. That's the biggest thing I lean on. I don't feel very confident often in what I have to say. When I go on mission trips, people seem to feel more confident because I'm there, because I've had experience. My experience is this, Jesus, we need you. That's what my experience tells me after all my mission trips. Jesus, we need you. If you don't show up, Holy Spirit, if you don't uh, fill us and use us, we're we're done for. This isn't going to be because of Mark's experience that this goes well. This is going to be because you are here with us and he's with all of us who believe in him. You will do greater things than these. As we talk, I want you to be encouraged, church. I have great confidence in you this morning as you talk about Jesus. This is going to be your experience. Not every time, but it's going to happen. People are going to move from questions to seeking. From a question that's like almost got something behind it that's negative to a real seeking. Okay, I want to find him. I want to experience what you've experienced. I want to have what you have found. This sermon is called Christ in me. And the final two verses were very powerful. And I, I didn't have long to prepare, but when I was preparing, I really felt here in verse two and three, there's a secret here for you. Because now they're saying to her, okay, we're with you. Let's find him. Where is he? And where do they find him? She says, my beloved. Suddenly she knows where he is. Didn't know where he was before she started speaking about him before she started sharing her faith with others. Suddenly, the question turns to her, where is he? And she knows. She says, my beloved has gone down to his garden. That should trigger something because we've spoken about the garden already. You're gonna see a pattern in poem three. I'm gonna go back to poem three to show you what's happening here in poem four. My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. And here's another thing we've read before. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Where is he? My first mission trip was in Mozambique. I was 17 years old and we were going and I was forced to talk about Jesus. When I take the men on a mission trip, three men have signed up so far, I'm telling you guys, 6th to the 9th of October, come. Because this is what's going to happen. Gary Hempel, who was leading that mission trip, he was the pastor. I was a little pipsqueak who knew nothing. Paired me up with Dave Melville who was a deacon or something. So I had my hope in Dave. Didn't have my hope in Christ. I had my hope in Dave. Okay, Dave, I'll, I'll support you. I will pray as you share. And we walk up to the first hut, just two of us. And now we must preach or share test me, do something. But there's been a, if you think we were prepared, we were unprepared. There was zero training. And we stood there, and this old man comes out. And Dave bumps me. And I get the message. He's pulling rank. He's also scared, so the little one's going to do it. And i breathed, and I went, okay, God, all I can do is tell them what I know. I might not know much, but I can tell them what I know. And I said, do you know Jesus? And he said no. And I was shocked. I was hoping he would say yes, and we'd say, okay, let's pray for you. But he said, no, he didn't know Jesus. And so with the little bit I knew at 17, I told him about Jesus and what he had meant to me. And I walked away from that. And you know what I felt? I felt assurance. I felt the Spirit. I knew God was with us. I didn't know it before. I didn't know it while. I knew it after. That's what's happening to her here. She is speaking about him to others. And suddenly she knows where he is. And you'll be very surprised by where he is. And I start realizing as we walk around and do more of this mission stuff, I'm going, God, you're here. You're here. And and you're here. And you're at this hat. And you're in this." Everywhere we go, I feel you. Like I've never felt you before. It must be because we're being obedient and doing what you want us to do. Oh, I start sitting around a fire. Even when there weren't ministry happening, I'm sitting around a fire that night, pondering these truths. And as I'm sitting around the fire, I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, it's been amazing these last few days. I felt you in a closer way than I've ever felt you before. It's been so wonderful to tell people about you. I've never done it before. Now I'm doing it. Wow, you're here. I wish it was always like this, Lord. That's what I said to him around that fire. And then I heard him. And when I say I heard him, don't worry. I mean, some people hear him audibly. I've never heard him audibly. I heard him in here, and I knew what he was saying. He said, it's always like this. It's not like this now, because you're doing the right thing. It's always like this. I am always with you. You are just aware of it now. And that changed my life because I could come back to East London and feel the same thing when I went to school, when I come to church, when I go into my home, where I go wherever, he is with us. Where is he? Where did she find him? In the garden. What is the garden? It's her heart. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Where are people gonna find Jesus? They find him in you, as you live your life faithfully for him. And as you do that, and as you speak about him, and as you see a response from those who don't know him yet, you will say this, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. The pattern in poem three was, there were foxes and sin, and she was hiding, and then the husband says to her, deal with the foxes. I know them. I see them. And, and I say, you're beautiful anyway. I've already said you're beautiful. I've already beckoned you to come to me. Even though those foxes are running rampant in your life, I'm saying, come to me. But as you deal with the foxes, she then says, my beloved is mine. You can't feel God? Is he feeling absent? Is the world overwhelming you with the waves and all of the things we were speaking of earlier? I want to tell you, church, one of the ways you can feel him and his nearness and know what is already true, because he has never left. He is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ doesn't leave you. He is always with you. But you want to feel that assurance and that nearness? Speak about him with others. And you'll know that he's never left you. He's been with you the whole way. And when we do that, he gets glory. What I read to you earlier from Psalm 57 is where I want to close. The glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth. Every suburb, every nation, it's already started. Do you know, last week I wasn't here. Some of you noticed, maybe you didn't. You probably don't care. But I wasn't here at the eight or the ten. And people, there were people worried about me. They messaged me, where are you? Even Matt, Matt had forgotten. He actually gave me permission, but he forgot. Where are you? And I went to Duncan Village, to a church in Duncan Village that has been planted by one of our congregants. And we were worshiping there and I felt the spirit there at the same time you are worshiping here. And we're feeling this word here. And this wonderful moment, I take a video and I send it to Matt and Joey. And I go, worshiping Jesus with you this morning. In the darkness of Duncan Village in the poverty and the crime and all of the evils that are going on there, they told me about them all when they were there. Little teenage girls that come to small group on a Wednesday from 5.30 to 7. And then you drop them off at their shack, but the road isn't up to the shack. There's hundreds of shacks before they can get to their shack and she climbs out of the car and runs for her life just to be a small group. She's got to risk her life to get back to her shack in the darkness. That's the darkness that is here in our city. And yet there's a church there and there's light there and God's glory is coming there through the church, but it's going to spread and it's going to fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. This gospel is compelling. Jesus is compelling. Speak about him and your assurance in him will grow. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this text, this encouragement of this lady. We can relate to her in many ways, Lord. We know what it's like to have a difficult past. We know what it's like to be beaten. And I pray, Lord, that our love for you will be steadfast. David writes in Psalm 57, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Lord, may we be steadfast as she is for you. If there's someone whose heart has been hurt and has been far away from you, I pray, would you come by your spirit this morning and would you awake their heart to you again. And may they Return to you, Lord. May they run for you, look for you, search for you as she does. And Lord, you've placed other people in our lives around us who don't know you yet. They are asking questions. Lord, give us the boldness from your spirit to speak about you, to speak Jesus in our workplaces, around our brows, Help us to switch on the light, Lord. And when we see these responses that are positive, Lord, may we be ready to share more. Because you are the most beautiful thing. And this gospel advances. You have changed our lives. You have saved us. And your glory is going to fill this whole earth. And we are playing our part in that. And Lord, as we take these chances to speak about you, I pray that this assurance that we belong to you would grow in our hearts. That as she can say, so can we. My beloved is mine and I am his. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the end of the service. We are having coffee under the tent uh, for the next half an hour. And uh, enjoy your Father's Day, and we'll see you next week Sunday.